Hi, this is Pastor Emily McGinley from Urban Village Church, Hyde Park, Woodlawn. If you've been to UVC, you'll know that we seek to be three things, bold, inclusive, and relevant. We know that there are countless folks across the country and out there in podcast land like yourself, seeking a message that will bring insight, hope, encouragement, and joy as we do this thing called faith. Please consider making a financial gift to help us with this work of inspiring, equipping, and sending out agents of gospel life and inclusive love. Just go to www.urbanvillagechurch.org forward slash give. Thanks for listening, and God bless. Listen for what God is saying to you. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name throughout the earth. You made your glory higher than heaven. From the mouths of nursing babies, you have laid a a strong foundation because of your foes in order to stop vengeful enemies. When I look at, at the skies, at what your fingers have made, the moon and the stars that you set firmly in place, what are human beings that you think about them? What are human beings that you pay attention to them? You've made them only slightly less than divine, crowning them with glory and grandeur. You've let them rule over your handiwork, putting everything under their feet, all sheep and all cattle, the wild animals too, the birds in the sky, the fish of the ocean, everything that travels the pathways of the sea. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name throughout the earth. May God add a blessing to the hearing and living out of this scripture. Well, good morning. My name is uh, Kate Gerke, and I'm the student pastor here at Urban Village Church, Hyde Park, Woodlawn. Uh, and it is uh, a joy to be worshiping with you this morning. Um, you've heard about it some already in the service today, but uh, I'm going to circle back for a moment and talk a little bit about General Conference, uh, because this was a hard week for many United Methodists and a hard week for many LGBTQIA folks and allies. And... Um, unfortunately, a lot of the clickbaity headlines in the 500-word articles that you'll see about General Conference from this past weekend don't paint a full picture of what actually happened at the conference. Big news organizations like the Washington Post, the New York Times, CBS, CNN, NPR publish headlines that say something like, the United Methodist Church votes to maintain opposition to same-sex marriage and gay clergy. But this is only part of the story. So full disclosure, just up front, I'm a Lutheran, not a Methodist. Um, And when held in comparison with the Methodist church, uh, the Lutheran systems for changing rules and regulations look more like a middle school student council election, and the United Methodist organizations look like a United Nations operation, which is just a sheepish way of saying, I don't totally know the ins and outs of what happened this weekend. Um, It's complicated, and though the official vote isn't what any of us would have hoped for, as you've already heard from today, um, what comes next is also unclear, um, not only to me, but to everyone. And so as a way of countering the simplified narrative of the Methodist Church opposes same-sex marriage, I'd like to share one of my favorite stories that came out of this weekend. So on Monday evening, um, the day before the final vote of the conference, The one church plan, which is the plan that allowed for um, LGBTQIA inclusion, was voted down, which, for complicated reasons, um, didn't mean that it was completely eliminated, but it it wasn't a very hopeful sign. And so that evening, a petition in support of the one church plan uh, circulated around the internet, and it basically said, this plan isn't as progressive as some people would like, and it's not as conservative as others would like, but it's a space where we can meet in the middle, where we can affirm that we are all 
all part of God's family, and we can stay together in community. And this petition was called the Young People's Statement. It was written in five different languages and ultimately was signed by people from the United States, African, European, and Philippine Central Conferences. And in the 13 hours that it was open, over 15,500 15, Methodists under the age of 35 signed this petition, including folks in this congregation, including straight allies, including young ordained ministers, and candidates for ordination in the Methodist church who came out to their churches in this petition to stand up and say, I am here. This is the next generation of the Methodist church. And what happened this weekend was much more complicated than what the headlines say. Not only uh, an, unfavorable, an unfavorable vote came out um, on Tuesday, and, uh, and this happened, and, and it did cause a lot of harm and hurt um, that came with it. But in addition to that, there's a lot of energy that came out of this weekend and a renewed conviction and resolve that this is not the end of the story. Throughout General Conference, um, Pastor Hannah and Pastor Christian, who are um, the pastors of our Wicker Park and South Loop sites, posted updates on the UVC All Site Facebook page. Um, that they break down in, in simple language the decisions that were made day by day over a course of videos in a way that, um, that also helps you figure out how to make sense of these decisions. So we've heard um, from Christian already today, but on the final day, um, it was clear that the traditional plan wasn't going to be passed. And after that decision came out, Hannah and Christian posted a video. Um, Yesterday, as I was... Uh, experiencing everything, I must confess to just feeling numb to everything and just not sure you know how to respond, what's going to happen next. And I came here today with a real mix of both the weight of everything, but also there was a part of me that was uh, defiant and energized by what we can still do uh, at Urban Village and in the United Methodist Church. And I'm getting that sense from others too, in the midst of the tears, uh, a real desire to continue to let folks know the kind of ministry we do, the Jesus-loving ministry that we do, is still needed uh, in our city and beyond, and we want to be a part of that. We don't know what it will look like in the future. Um, we don't want to make those decisions right away, but I think we are convicted more than ever that our ministry matters uh, and that we need to continue doing what we're doing. So people are complicated. Humans are the best. Humans are the worst. This is the, the topic for the first week of the new sermon series that we're in called Sorry, Not Sorry, What is True Forgiveness? And as the Methodist Church continues in conversations about reconciliation and about how or whether to continue the relationship with one another, what comes out of it is certainly a fuller picture of humanity, of the best in people, of the worst in people, of the good, the bad, and the ugly of humanity in its fullness. And we're coming into this series off of the Gender Sermon series, where we talked about what it means to be made in God's image. And so for this series, in addition to that, we're exploring the other side of being human. We're still made in God's image. That's not going anywhere. But we're also asking the question, what does it mean that we're also imperfect? And that much to our frustration, sometimes others are imperfect too and don't always behave the way that we'd like them to and we don't always behave the way that we'd like to. And so today we're starting with the question, 
What does it mean to be an imperfect human who is also made in the image of God? And this question is asked and answered um, pretty definitively in the psalm that, that we read for today. In verse 4 of the psalm, the psalmist asks, What are human beings that you think about them? Asking God, what are human beings that you pay attention to them? In an attempt to use more inclusive language, the Common English Bible, which is the translation that we're using for today, uses plural nouns where the Hebrew text uses singular nouns. So while our translation asks the general question about the role of humanity in creation, another translation might pay attention to the specificity of this person's question. Rather than asking, what are human beings that you think about them? A different but just as good translation is, What is one human being that you should remember him? What is a single mortal that you should care for her? The person in this psalm is standing under the night sky. Verse 3 says they're looking up at the heavens, at the moon and the stars. And the stars which, because of their distance and because of their size and because their expansiveness in history, are a beautiful and frightening reminder of the expansiveness of the universe. And here's this person standing under the vast night sky, and they're saying, who am I? This is so big, and I am so small. Why should I matter? What is one human that you should care for her? And if you've asked yourself this question, why do I matter? And I would imagine that everyone has. Think about when you've asked that question. Maybe it's standing under the night sky, Or maybe here in Chicago, it's in the middle of downtown or on the CTA line where you can easily get lost in a rush of people. Or maybe it's when you feel underappreciated at your job or invisible in the classroom or forgotten at home. Usually, when I ask this question, it's because I feel small and need to be reminded of my worth. I mean, who would ask the question if they already feel powerful? You don't need to ask, why do I matter, if you already know why you matter. And so the psalm today, in response to this, the question, why do I matter, what, should one, what is one human that you should remember him, seems to understand what is behind this question. And the first response is to remind the person of their worth. Verse 5 says, you are made a little lower than God, crowned with glory and honor. In other words, this is the first part of the humans are the best, humans are the worst equation. Humans are the best. You are the best because you are made in the image of God. This weekend at General Conference when LGBTQIA folks were asking, don't I matter, and their voices were silenced or overshadowed, people took to Twitter and to Facebook. They protested in person and online. They sang hymns. They prayed. And they signed petitions to affirm, yes, of course you matter. Yes, of course you have worth. Yes, of course you are made in the image of God. But the fact that this needs to be a response at all means that we still have some work to do when we are affirming the worth of others, we are affirming the worth of ourselves. That humans are the best is not the only part of the equation, that it's only the first part. But it's so tempting to skip right to verse 4 in the psalm and to stop there. Because who doesn't want to be considered a little bit lower than God? We do a disservice to the, to the psalm and to our understanding of humans are, though, if this is where we stop. Because there's a boundary around this psalm. It begins and it ends with the same line. It's bookended 
in the first and the last verse by reminding us that God is the one who is sovereign and majestic, that we are the created, not the creator, and that when we forget this or when we ignore this, when we cross that boundary, that bookend, that is God's sovereign and majestic nature, when we think that we are equal with God and we act like we are equal with God, we harm one another. We don't have to go very far in the Psalms to see examples of others who go beyond this boundary. In fact, in the passage right before and right after our scripture today, in Psalm 9 and in Psalm 10, um, the Psalms are about the, wicked, the wickedness facing judgment and coming to an end. And so on the spectrum of humans are the best, humans are the worst, they bounce right back and forth to one another, reminding us that we are both of those things all the time. This is, after all, a sermon series on forgiveness, and if we're perfect, there would be no reason to be forgiven or to forgive one another. And before we get into the nature of forgiveness, which we will get into later in the series, um, that would be a good idea for this first sermon series to take a step back and to talk about why forgiveness is needed in the first place. If we're made in the image of God, why do humans act in irrational, insensitive, and sometimes hurtful ways? Is this just part of our nature? Is it a conscious choice? Is a little bit of both of those things. And a good place to start, of course, is looking at Genesis 1, which is um, what the psalm is hearkening back to, and is also a passage that we looked at in our last sermon series. And people often point to this story of the first humans and categorize them as, as pre-fall and post-fall. Pre-apple, post-apple, pre-sin, post-sin. And it begs the questions, were humans inherently good before the fall, and now we're inherently not good? Or are we inherently anything? And the question of human nature is one that philosophers and theologians have debated throughout human history. And each each denomination, each religion, each person person has its own take on the question. Um, But a hint, perhaps, at what part of what Christianity has to say about this comes in the Lord's Prayer, which we recite before communion each week. And in it we pray, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. And I have to admit that I prickle a little bit every time I hear the word sin, as I imagine many of you do, precisely because it gets used and, uh, used and wielded in conversations like the ones um, being had about human sexuality, where it is co-opted to talk about things that humans are uncomfortable with, which are then labeled as moral flaws. And that is not the kind of sin I'm talking about here. And in fact, it's, it's conversations like that that make me want to throw out the language entirely and opt for the forgive us of our, our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And still, I think there is something lost when we don't think about sin or use the language of sin. And like I said, I'm, earlier I'm a Lutheran, and sin is kind of one of the big things that Lutherans have. <laughs> if you were to make a scale from rotten sinner to in the image of God, Luther would fall heavily on the rotten sinner side, and he would say that all of, all of us do too. <laughs> and as my seminary professors say, Luther's theology is only for the desperate, because who would want to fall in this category? <laughs> and still... In my life, I have found the language of sin to be so helpful when I think about myself and my place in the world, because it frees me from having to be perfect. 
As a kid, and I still do this, but as a kid I would wind myself into tight, tight, tight balls of anxiety that would make it impossible to move in any direction because the seeds of perfectionism had already been planted. And it was freeing to be told, you can't be perfect. God can be perfect, but you can't be perfect. And it acknowledges, the language of sin acknowledges a reality that already feels real to me. That whether or not I like it, and no matter how hard I try, I'm going to make mistakes. I'm going to make choices, both intentional and unintentional, that hurt other people. And other people are going to hurt me too. And I don't say this to excuse us to do whatever we want or to not be intentional about our actions and about how they impact other people. But I think part of what it means to be a human in relationship with another human or other people or other creation is that no one gets out unscathed. And no one gets out unloved. Both of these things can be true. And I think acknowledging this reality of sinning or trespassing allows us to look at one another a little bit more empathetically and opens the door a little bit wider to the possibility of forgiveness. This is the tension that we live with and that we'll be sitting in as we, as we go out into the next weeks. Humans are the best, humans are the worst. We are boundary breakers and sinners and we are also made a little less than God, made in the image of God and crowned with glory and honor. Will you pray with me? Good and gracious God, we ask that you help us to live in the tension of being made in the image of God, but not being made as God, of being sinners and being saints, of being the created, not the creator. Help us to feel our worth, especially for those who don't feel their worth right now, for those who might have been hurt or harmed by the events at General Conference this weekend or hurt or harmed by a myriad of things happening in the world right now. Help us to grapple with the full dimension of our humanity, including the shadowy parts of us, the ones that we'd rather not look at. We ask that in doing this, we further our connection with one another and with you. We further our understanding in the goal of living in healthy relationships with you and with all of your creation. In your name we pray. Amen.